culture is driven by coaching, by understanding your people, by making your people feel valued, by developing your people, and that having much, much more substance to it than we've got a slide instead of stairs in our office. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Sales coaching is a discipline that is still often either misunderstood or not utilized to its full potential. Our guest in this week's episode has used her plus 20 years of sales and sales leadership experience to master the art of coaching. We'll dive deep into the definition of sales coaching, common misconceptions, how to build a coaching culture, and more. Please welcome the CEO of E4 Enable, Kate Lewis. Kate, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement. Great to have you here. Thanks, Felix. I'm looking forward to this. So, Kate, tell us, what is your background and what do you do now for those people that haven't come across your great posts on LinkedIn yet? <laughs> well, A, thank you for the compliment. Sales. Sales is my background, all things sales. So, Sometimes I feel a bit of a dinosaur. I've been in sales for probably about 24 years, about 20 years of that in a leadership capacity, probably longer now when I think of it. So I've seen a lot of change over that time in the sales environment, but I've always been about sales, sales leadership, sales transformation, actually, in most of the roles I've done, we've, we've implemented some significant change or other. So what that's brought me to through that entire sales journey of 24 odd years is to build something for sales is to take all of the things I learned over that time, the frustrations I had with embedding change and transformation is to then build it. So it was built for me. So that's where E for Enable came from. Built for me because of the challenges I was having. That's right. That's right. The execution, that's where it always falls over, right? Yeah, indeed. Great ideas almost always fall down in the long-term execution and the longevity aspect of it. So from your experience, as you said, 20 years of sales leadership experience, lots of staff you've managed and probably your fair share of coaching experience as well, which led you to founding your business now. What is your definition of coaching and what are some of the common misconceptions that you come across? My definition of coaching, I, I'm not a purist. So I think there's purist coaching. Now, pure play coaching is actually quite hard, right? Where you're literally coming at it with no agenda whatsoever. As a sales leader and a sales coach, that's kind of hard because you're kind of biting your tongue all the time going, I think I know the answer, right? <laughs> so I'm a hybrid person when it comes to sales coaching. I think if we take something simple with sales coaching, like grow, right? The grow coaching methodology, I think is a really nice, simple way of taking it forward, which is identify someone's goal, understand where they are in the gap to that goal, what options they've got to fill it, and have they got the will and desire to get there, and what are the things they're actually going to do to get there. I think that's a really simple framework that can be applied to anything within coaching. And throughout that, asking great questions. But that doesn't mean you can't offer guidance and advice. You can't say, look, when we're talking about options, here are some of the things that have worked for me. Here are some of the things that have worked for others. Here are some of the skill areas you might want to focus on. Whereas I think pure play coaching is you don't have any agenda. You don't have any suggestions. You open it up to the art of the possible, which I think <laughs> is wonderful in lots of places, but sometimes puts sales leaders and sales coaches off doing it because 
it feels really hard and painful and slow. So they don't do it. So I think forgive yourselves. I think one of the misconceptions there I would lead into that is forgive yourself for not being a pure play, you know, definition of coaching. That's right. Allow yourself to weave in some of the guidance and the thoughts and ideas and experience that you've got. So it's okay to lean into a bit of mentorship. It's okay to lean into a little bit of management and create a blended approach to coaching would be my feeling on it. And that's why I think I've got a hybrid approach to coaching. No, I love that. I think if you don't have any agenda and you don't lean into any direction, it's borderline therapy. Right? It is. It is. <laughs> and look, funnily, in sales, we're taught to ask probing questions, right? But we're not taught to ask really wide questions. So you don't go in with a client and say, I would hope you don't say, what's the biggest thing that keeps you up at night? Because someone's going to say, well, my kids, actually. You're trained to ask probing questions in a way that helps uncover a challenge to them, right? So you're asking the question with purpose, with a goal to uncovering a particular area. You can apply that to coaching. You can ask sort of leading questions to a certain extent because you know you're looking to uncover a particular result that's going to help and guide that person to the end outcome. Mm. So it's basically a lead to the outcome and the solution rather than, you know, lead to it rather than lead with it. Is that fair to say? It is, but I still think it's important that the person comes to their outcome and the options and the will themselves is all about them. That's the one fundamental. And if I was to say to anybody, look, where should you spend most of your time in coaching? It's understanding the individual and their goal, because that is what powers up any outcome from coaching that you're ever going to get. Understand that, link to that always, and the rest of it will follow because it has to be their pathway. It has to be them engaged in what they're going to achieve. Otherwise, it's just go do this. And that's management. That's directional management. And that's not what this is about. So is that in a way the key to developing intrinsic motivation and really getting that buy-in from people in the development? Yeah. Yeah. People often say to me, so there's a couple of misconceptions there, right? Coaching is hard. Coaching is time-consuming. You can't coach experienced people. I think in all of those things, it's because you're going in with a, an agenda of, or a preconception with this is what coaching is coaching experienced people is still about the fact if you start by understanding their intrinsic motivation and what's going to make them achieve their goals and what they want to do, there's still room for coaching. I'm a great believer that everybody has room for coaching and being coached. There's a reason why executives and executive coaches exist because no matter how much experience you have, the day you start saying, oh, I'm the finished article, I have nothing to learn and nothing to develop is, well, it's just non-existent that day in my mind. So it's all about understanding that intrinsic motivation and then taking direction from that, their goal to understand where it is you should coach. What are the gaps? What's blocking them from achieving that goal? Where are the areas of development that you can both work on together? And ultimately, what do they need to do to get to that place? And when it comes to the definition of goals, is it as broad as this is what I want to achieve in my life and this is how this job can be a stepping stone in order to get there. So I want to build a house. I want to have a happy life with my family. Or is it really as specific as these are the goals for my own professional development this quarter? Like how broad do the goals have to be for people to really develop that intrinsic motivation? I think as a leader, as a coach, our job is to pick at the goals to make sure that they're not just what we want to hear. When I'm talking to sales leaders, I will say, you know, 
question it. Be suspicious when someone says, I want to smash my target this quarter and get to be an AE. <laughs> Is that just what you think I ought to hear? Because that will make you appear really great. That's not what you want to say. The question I would ask in any of those situations is why? Why do you want to achieve that? Fast forward, you're there. What does it make you feel? What does it enable you to do? What does it open up for you? Why is that important? And invariably, you'll get beyond that first answer and you'll get into, actually, do you know, for me, it's all about spending more time with my family. Okay, right. Why? Well, because I don't want to miss out on my kids growing up, but my career is really important to me. So I have to be able to find a way to balance it. If we spend every coaching session getting you to a place that you can do that because you're overperforming, you're able to get more flex, you're at a place in your career where you can flip to do something else because you've performed through my, you know, my agenda as well, then that's motivation, not I want to be an AE in six months. So I think you can start wherever that person wants to start. But as a coach and as a leader, our job is to, in a way, pick away at it. If ever anybody has watched Simon Sinek's Golden Circle, now go to the original, his original TED Talk when he's just got his flip chart, right? And he's understanding the intrinsic power of why, this power of why. That doesn't just apply to companies. If you've not watched it, go watch it. It doesn't just apply to companies. It applies to individuals. If we can get to that individual's why, everything else is powered up. And so that's where I believe that conversation. Now, if somebody is like, in 10 years time, I want to be this, and that is their motivation, great. It makes sense to break that down into those options. Like, what are some of the bite-sized, more stepping stones that we can take to get there? But again, it's a conversation that's driven by them, not by you. And that's fundamental. I think another underestimated side effect that I also come across and also experienced firsthand being a coach of staff is that by framing a conversation that way and by really identifying the why and the internal motivation for the staff, you don't only get that motivation to actually acquire certain skills or achieve certain milestones. But just by asking the questions, the staff suddenly feel so much more valued because you show an interest, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's obviously an interest in their development for the sake of the goals that you have as a company and as a team. But just building that connection to them as a person is also highly valuable and also something that I see being underestimated as a tool. Yeah. We all seek to be understood, don't we? And if we're understood and feel supported because we're understood, then it changes everything, changes everything. I mean, looking back at your career in sales and now in your leadership position at your business, how have you seen coaching really evolve over time? I think it's got a louder voice today than it ever had. As I said, about 10 years ago, I was introduced to, to Simon Sinek and at the same time introduced to the growth methodology. So I been pocketing doing kind of leadership and bits like that in my own way. But I was introduced to this notion of having a structure and having a backing behind it and kind of being able to create some power to it. And I think my journey from then has been all about coaching and leadership and developing people. But there's also an element of me living in a bubble, right? Because LinkedIn creates this bubble for you where you think, everybody's coaching because that's all I hear everybody talking about on LinkedIn, right? It's I coach. The number one thing you should be doing is coaching. Coach, 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 coach. There's like cheerleaders everywhere. And as social media has a habit of doing, it just surrounds you and feeds you all the stuff that you like to consume, which is around coaching. So the notion in my head is, well, we're there. Everybody sounds like they're coaching. 
that is by no means where we are. There might be a perception of that, but there's no means the reality. My teams, the amount of people they speak to, I know we don't coach here. We've got a team of experienced people. We don't need to coach. We're not coaching. We don't need to do training. There's just so much of that that we come across day in, day out. And I think there's also a shift in perception of what is coaching. So again, there's a few cheats around. We've bought a conversational analytics tool. That means we're coaching. Only if you're coaching using those tools or we've got a learning system, we've got training. That's surely coaching. No, only if you're coaching to that. So there's lots of these notions that we're coaching. I think it was Refract, and forgive me, I'm terrible at stats, but they did a really, really interesting study where they polled managers to say, how often are you coaching and how many of you coach? And then they polled reps to say, how often are you coached? Reps were saying, again, these numbers are completely wrong, but like 30%. And the managers are saying, oh, it's like 90% of our time is spent coaching. Because not everything you do is coaching. Deal reviews, not coaching. Forecasting, not coaching. Having a one-to-one with your team, not coaching. So I think there's a notion of an acceptance that coaching is powerful, that it's a huge driver to success, that it drives an enormous return on investment, particularly when backed up with other training initiatives and other initiatives within the business. But the reality of people actually doing it, we've got a long, long way to go to get every organization and every manager enabled to coach with the right framework to coach to and the right structure in which to do it that makes it easier to do, that makes it more available, that makes it simple to execute. And that's a big difference. Going back to those misconceptions, coaching's hard, coaching's time-consuming. People in my team are too experienced. We need to overcome that to make it something that is a no-brainer for people to adopt. So I think we've got a long time to go. I think the other thing is, in more recent years, I'd like to see we've seen a shift from culture. And for those of you who aren't watching my video, I'm doing in the air inverted commas there that culture is driven by kind of pool tables and free lunches and after work on a Friday, free beer. I think you're starting to see through some of the gaps in that and into saying, actually, you know, culture is driven by coaching, by understanding your people, by making your people feel valued, by developing your people. And that's having much, much more substance to it than we've got a slide instead of stairs in our office, which is obviously a bit tongue in cheek, but there's a huge difference, right? (laughs) I love that. I think that's what's changing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Do you think there is, in terms of the adoption of a coaching culture, different maturity levels, depending on the industry that you're looking at, the geography, and maybe also the size of the companies that you're dealing with? It's a really good question. So company size, the bigger the company, the more painful they feel in trying to embed that culture. That's a big blocker. It's we love the notion of coaching, enablement, love coaching, even sales, you know, senior leadership, but getting that throughout where you've got a hundred, two hundred managers, thousands of sales teams is seen as a blocker. So I think that's a painful piece in terms of size. I think The notion of coaching has been adopted very heavily within the SaaS and and kind of tech markets as they're being educated and looking for new ideas and new ways to scale and to embed kind of high-performing teams. Like it definitely differs, but in different ways. So an organization that's looking to transform and is making a huge investment in transforming, they might be an established organization, will see coaching as an avenue to delivering that transformation for the long term. And that makes it sticky. For me, 
the biggest difference is not size, it's not location, it's not maturity in that sense. It's buy-in from the senior stakeholders. Coaching needs to be embraced at the top. It is no good you saying managers should be coaching when the chief revenue officer isn't coaching their managers, their regional leaders, that those regional leaders aren't on the receiving end and therefore don't flow it down. So for me, it's that senior stakeholder adoption that needs to happen for you to create, as you say, a culture of coaching. And that then feeds through to all the the entire organization. So that needs to change. And that typically starts with a desire and need to change. Uh, The rest of it is a bit like the technology adoption curve, right? Within any organization, let's say you've got 20 managers within a region you'll find that there are the innovators, right? The ones that are just hungry. They're the me 10 years ago when I saw that Simon Sinek and I got my grow methodology training and I thought, ah, I want to do this. This is ace. They're going to be the early innovators. They're going to take it on. And then you're going to get the early adopters that see a bit of success. And then it's going to start going into maturity curve. That will happen in any organization. We see that in our clients. There is always a pocket and a ramp up as they see success Other managers will start saying, I want a piece of that. The reps will start pushing back and saying, I want coaching. And then by the time you've got to the laggards, I'd like to think the laggards shouldn't be in the organization in the first place if you're driving a culture of coaching in terms of managers choosing to adopt it. But that would be typically what I would see in terms of adoption. You said there's early adopters that really buy into that and then it kind of grows from there. This sounds to me like a very organic way of a coaching culture building is there a proactive way and a intentional way to actually drive that adoption and if so how would you go about that i'm biased clearly but if i boil it down to the things that any organization can do for me it's about making it operational and consumable so sales leaders are busy sales reps are busy we don't want to have to do things that feel really hard to do so create a framework that gives you a consistent view. Create the picture of what good looks like for you. What are the skills and behaviors we should be coaching to that help everybody understand what options they've got available in that coaching conversation? Marry that to the the metrics that we're all governed by that say, if you're struggling with this particular conversion of meetings into ops, where should I be looking at from a skills perspective? Where should we be coaching? Make it easy for people to coach, to be on the receiving end of coaching. And you will get a higher level of adoption. See the fruits of your labor. Measure it for crying out loud. If you can't shout about the success because you can say, we've done this in this team and we're seeing this outcome, then you can't bring other people faster on the journey. So give you an example. One of our clients had two divisions within their business. One of them they could see had a high level of attrition within their teams. The other did not. But they were also able to measure that the ones that did not have the high-level attrition were doing much more coaching. The high-level attrition area was not doing coaching. That enabled them to create a very, very clear picture to say, you need to be coaching, (laughs) right? This isn't anecdotal. This is pure play fact. This is measurement. And whether this team is outperforming because they're doing this and they're upskilled and they're skilled in these areas versus this team and they're not that will help with adoption because it's proof, right? It's proof that it's working. Yeah, I think that really feeds into the perception that I have of organizations that are really not buying into the coaching approach of them seeing it as this kind of vague, intangible concept. 
it's a bit of kumbaya <laughs> uh, from the tech world being introduced in our organization or our industry, you know? So I think yeah. taking the measurements and the real impact that you're able to create through coaching, that's really from my experience, totally as what you said, it's really confirming to those skeptics what sort of impact it really has kind of takes the mystique out of the whole approach, right? Yeah, at the end of the day, we're driven by numbers. It would be silly in sales for us to say we aren't. So if we even start with that and say, where are we on the numbers? This looks like it's a challenge. Where should we coach to support that challenge? If we coach to support that challenge, are we seeing measurable outcomes? There is an absolute direct correlation. And at the end of the day, as you say, it isn't kumbaya. It's not lovely fireside chats and marshmallows. It's about driving improved performance because if we get to our company goal and that's aligned to your personal goals and that enables you to get to your personal goal, then we're all laughing and that's the difference. So just one thing that I also wanted to quiz you on because that to me is also still a very hot topic that is really often discussed in the sales enablement space, which is the question around the definition of coaching goals and if those coaching goals are really defined for the organization's benefit or for the buyer's benefit, right? The consensus is for those people that actually are buyer-centric is that if it's buyer-centric, it's in the interest of the organization and it will sooner or later be reflected in revenue numbers anyway. But there's also a lot of organizations that are really focused on the sales methodology and the sales process without really caring too much about what's going on on the buyer's side, as long as the revenue is coming out on the other side. What's your perception in terms of the definition of coaching goals? Are those really defined in the interest of the buyer from your point of view? Or is there often a very heavy focus on sales process and sales methodology without really looking at what's happening on the buyer side? It comes down to the, the framework. So it comes down to that kind of skills and behavioral framework that you're using as the basis for your coaching, right? So if you've got that definition of what good looks like, if that has a buyer-centric approach, then it follows that the end result is going to be biocentric. We have seen a shift, and I think there's generally a shift in the marketplace at the moment, away from sales methodologies towards buyer methodologies and biocentric or customer-centric sales processes. There's been a disconnect. There's the, I don't want to have a discovery call before I have a demo, before I'm allowed to hit pricing. I want to have a natural process that responds to me. So I think we're seeing the development of salespeople, the development of those frameworks change to be more biocentric. So we start seeing stakeholder engagement. We start seeing multi-buyer engagement within that framework. We start seeing being able to understand buyer industries. We start seeing more of the challenger customer than the challenger sale behaviors coming through in the frameworks. But to make that shift is simply about that definition of what good looks like for your salespeople. We're often involved where someone is looking to transform their sales teams. So, for example, it might be that they've had a poor cultural experience from a sales perspective where they've been overly sales to the extent where maybe they've been doing some non-biocentric behaviors. So they've said, we need to transform we're going to lose market share, we're going to lose reputation in the market, we're going to lose people if we don't shift to biocentric. Well, the start of that shift is saying what behaviors, what skills do we need to change? Do we need to develop in these people? And where are our teams on that scale? And are the managers and the sales enablement and the sales training and the senior leadership all aligned 
to that single framework. That for me is what creates that behavioral shift. And it's not overnight, right? None of this happens overnight. It takes time to shift an entire sales team. And you're going to get those that want to be on the bus and those that don't. So you will see some attrition during that process. But unless you define it and you get everybody singing from the same hymn sheet, you're never going to see that shift from seller-centric to buyer-centric behaviors. And it's definitely coming from a market perspective. We're definitely seeing that pressure and that push from the market. Got it, got it. Now, the one thing I also wanted to ask you about is obviously because you're in a leadership position at a technology vendor and you interact with a lot of organizations and you see lots of different maturity levels, as we discussed earlier, at which point in time does it really make sense to introduce technology in your coaching efforts? And is there a wrong time that probably hinders your efforts in the coaching space to introduce technology? That's a great question. If I take my sales hat off, technology is only needed if it's needed. So the point is, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? So you're sitting at the top of an organization, right? And you're sitting there saying, well, I want to create a culture of coaching. There are a number of challenges and blockers you're going to find to that that you've got no visibility of whether or not that coaching culture is permeating through the organization. You've got no feedback loop. You've got no ability to measure what's working and what's not, whether teams are engaging with it, whether teams aren't, where are they on the skills profile and that behavioral change profile. If you're serious about wanting to do it and you realize that you can't create the visibility that your sales enablement people can't support that process if they can't see it, they can't measure it, they can't align it to the outcomes the business is expecting, then you need some level of technology to support you, whether or not that's the technology to support seeing what's happening in the conversations your sales team are having, whether it's technology to help you understand whether or not those coaching conversations are happening, whether it's technology like ours, where it's underpinning the whole framework of coaching within an organization, it still comes back to what problem are you trying to solve in putting that coaching culture together? When I used to train my sales team and we're talking about sales enablement, right? So I've got some new starters and I try to get them to think like the persona that they're selling to and that's sales enablement. I say, look, you've got to think that with sales enablement, they have enormous amount of responsibility, like huge responsibility. They've basically been told the performance of the organization is kind of down to you, but you've got no power, by the way, because none of these people work for you. So you've got to then try and bring everybody on and say, right, we've decided we're going to create a culture of coaching. You can't go tell everybody that they've got to do this. You've got to bring them with you. You've got to create that momentum, that movement, that visibility, that measurement. That is really hard. So that's when you start looking to technology to say, how can it enable me? And technology at the end of the day is an enabler. It is an enabler to your success. And if you need something that's underpinning it, then look to technology to do it. Kate, on that note, we're running out of time, but thank you so much for sharing your insights. If people want to learn more about E4 Enable and maybe want to follow you online, where can they do that? Yeah, I'm active, as you said, on LinkedIn. So you can find me anywhere on LinkedIn, E4 Enable on LinkedIn. It's e4enable.com if you want to uh, go to our website, but generally seek me out and hit me up on LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks, Felix. Next time on The State of Sales Enablement. Technology is changing enormously and any seller who does not get good at embracing technology is destined to go the way of the dodo bird, is my view.